Happy Sunday. Uh, did you guys enjoy worship this morning? Isn't that good? What's crazy is that the people who were leading worship this morning, they're the guys who don't ever get to play here. And that's how deep it is around here. So um, I think we're going to try to rem- remedy that a little bit, and hopefully we're going to do this a little more. Uh, it, it's good and right for there to be an expression of worship that sounds and feels like Kentucky. I mean, we do live here, right? I mean, I like rock, but come on. Sometimes you just need a stand-up bass, like Alex, high five. Sometimes it's just what you need. <clears throat> All right, hey, we're going to begin a new series here at the Vineyard. And I'm pretty excited about it. We're going to spend the next three weeks talking about friendship. Friendship. You guys like my image I have this morning up on the... You guys like this? I love this one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right there. All in gilded glory. There we go. We're going to spend the next three weeks talking about friendship and hopefully discovering uh, how to be better friends, but also uh, not just discovering how to be better friends, but, but realizing that friendship is one of the ways that God shows His love and His care for us. Maybe sort of a new idea. Well, before we start, I would like to say this. I would like to say this. One of the things that we're looking for, or as we start, I would like to say this. I guess would be a better way to put it. I would like to say it this way. One of the things that we're looking for, uh, everybody who's in the room this morning and everybody who was in the room first service, is that we're all looking for intimacy. No, I know that's a word that makes all the guys freak out, right? feelings but one of the things that we're looking for even the guys who are freaked out about the possibility of speaking about their feelings is that we're all looking for intimacy and and here's what we mean by intimacy this is the thing that you and I are both looking for you and I are looking to be known and we're looking to know that's what intimacy is about but it's a particular kind of intimacy that we're looking for we're looking to know and to be known without having to wear our masks, without having to be actors, and without having to wear our facades, or uh, to put it another way, our facades. <laughs> That's the only joke I have this morning, so enjoy that one, okay? But we're looking to be known, and we're looking to know without having to play the game, right? We're looking for someone to know us, who we really, really are. But then we're actually looking for something that's actually one step beyond. And this is what intimacy really, really hinges on. We're looking for someone to know us, and we're looking for the ability to know them for who we really, really are without pretending, and we're hoping to be liked. We're hoping to be liked. We're hoping to be liked for who we really, really are and not in spite of who we really, really are. That's what we're hoping for. No one is hoping to be tolerated. We want to be liked. In fact, one of the most profound revelations that you'll ever get from God is not only that you are loved, but that you're liked. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that God tolerates people. Tolerance is not an expression of who God is. It is something more than that. We're hoping to be liked. This is what intimacy is about. It's to be known. It's to know fully. No masks. No acting. No pretending. And then in that real environment, in that real space, who you really, really are, we're hoping to be liked. Intimacy. I want to share a scripture for you from the book of Proverbs. Sort of been stuck there lately. It's out of chapter 17, verse 17. It says this, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for times of of adversity. How many of you in the room would like to be loved at all times? Let me flip it around a little bit. 
How many of you would like to be the sort of person who loves at all times? That's what I'm going for. Can't get one without the other, though. Until you realize that you're really, really loved, you'll never be a person who loves at all times. You'll play a selfish game. How many of you would like this? How many of you would like to have help in your most desperate times of need? Yeah. Let's flip that around. How many of you would like to be the sort of person who is a help in other people's most desperate times of need? Man, that's, that's an amazing thing. There's this little story in the Gospels. It can be read a hundred different ways. By the way, there's no one way to ever read the Scripture. You guys understand that, right? There's not. Anybody who tells you that's joking. It's garbage. There's this little story in the Gospels. And Jesus has apparently been teaching for a while, and the disciples are a little bit concerned. And they say, Jesus, why don't you turn all these people loose? There's a bunch of people here. Send them home. They haven't eaten in like three days. And if you don't turn them loose soon, they're probably going to pass out, and, and maybe they'll even die on the way. And that's not exactly what they said, but that's kind of what they were getting at. You guys remember this story, right? And then Jesus turns to the disciples, and he says to them, and by the way, he's not joking. He says, you give them something to eat. No one had any food, and Jesus tells the disciples, you give them something to eat. He wasn't joking. He meant it. He really did mean it. And they were like, well, we don't know what to do. And Jesus says, fine, tell everybody to sit down. Have them sit down in groups. He says, what do you have? Well, we've got a little fish, and we've got a little bread. And he takes the fish and takes the bread, and he begins to divide it, and they hand it out, and they hand it out. And he makes the disciples who had nothing hand it out. And by the time this is over, everybody eats until they're full, and the disciples who had nothing go home with a basket full of something. They have to walk with it. I like to imagine that the guys who said they didn't have anything to give, they have to walk with it for miles like this, you know? And Jesus is up front, and he's just like, you know, and he's looking back, and there's 12 guys behind them all with something who said they had nothing. It's a picture of this. How many of you would like to be the sort of person who has something when no one has anything? A friend is born for a time of adversity. I'd like to have someone who takes care of me, but I would also like to be the kind of person who could come in in times of adversity and have something to offer. There's always something there, right? It's amazing. This is what we want in life. We want friendships. One of the other things that's being held out to us here from the scripture in Proverbs is a brand new idea. There's a kingdom idea here. Friend loves at all times and it says a brother is born for a time of adversity. One of the things that is being offered here is a retelling of what family really is. In the kingdom of heaven, family is not just based upon who you share DNA with, but family is based upon who you suffer alongside of. Look at that. A brother is born for a time of adversity. How many of you have ever talked to soldiers or been around soldiers? What do soldiers call one another when they've served in the military together? Brother. Maybe you played on a basketball team, a football team, a softball, or a baseball team, and when you endure a season when the coach makes you run suicides until some of you puke and you keep playing and you keep playing and you get better and you work and you get better and you work and you work and you work and you sweat and you do more than you thought you could ever do. You go further and you go faster. At the end of that season, whether you win or whether you lose, you turn to one another and you call the other person what? Brother. There's a thing that happens when people suffer together or share a burden together and it transcends DNA and something happens. This is where the kingdom of heaven kicks in and you go, wow, I've got a family here I didn't realize that I was born into. I want friends like that. Not only do I want friends like that, but if I'm honest with you guys, I can tell you that I have friends like that. I have friends like that. It's one of the ways that I've been most richly blessed in my life. It's the area of friendship. And I can honestly say that I have more than a handful of very good friends. I have more than a handful of very good friends. And then in addition to a handful of very good friends, I actually have a few best friends. I don't have one best friend. I have many, a handful of best friends. I've reverted to the elementary school version of friendship where one is allowed to have multiple best friends. 
I have more than one best friend. I suggest that everybody in the room get more than one best friend. You're going to need it. You're going to need it. See, one of the common threads that ties all of my best friends together is the presence of intimacy. It's the knowing and being known thing. Some of us readily identify with that kind of language. Others of us bristle. But there's an intimacy that holds my best friends together. With my best friends, I don't have to act. And with my best friends, I don't have to pretend. I don't have to wear any sort of mask. I can just be. And in this way, friendship has a way of humanizing us. I can share new ideas. I can tell crazy ideas. I can tell jokes. At the same time, I can be very, very serious. And then at the very same time, in the very next moment, I can be very silly. You see, best friends always have inside jokes. There are typically uh, exist between best friends many levels of inside, secret, particular knowledge and language. Isn't this true? The more intimate the relationship, the more inside, secret, and specific the language and knowledge that exists between these two people. So for instance, for example, I speak for a living. So for example, we all sort of live in the South, and how many of you understand that people in the South talk different? But how many of you have become aware of this, that people in South Carolina don't sound the same as people from Georgia? I could pick up somebody who is from South Carolina like this. There's a weird thing, Brent. <laughs> Anybody ever met somebody from like Vidalia, Georgia? It's, you, you meet one person from Vidalia, Georgia, you will know all those people for the rest of your life. There's something. What? We went from this macro thing, we've become slightly smaller, and there becomes an inside knowledge, an inside language, an inside way of being. Now, if we, if we collapse this even more to your best friends, there are inside languages and inside ideas, knowledge, jokes, seriousness, things that are held valued that become particular to that group. And if we take it even way more than that, there is a way of talking, a way of being, and there are words that are shared between my wife and I that don't mean the same thing as they do when you hear them as when we're talking. Does this make sense? Intimacy, it's, it's, it, it's this shared thing. It's this inside deal. And so when I, I've got best friends, I don't have to pretend. And we have, we have inside jokes. We have inside ways of being. We have inside values. We have some words that mean something to you. Don't mean that at all to us. There typically exists that kind of an idea in friendship. There's exchange. And it's more than just two people who are relating because of social or economic benefits or partnering. See, real friendships always extend beyond social status and profit margins. If a friendship is based upon social status or profit margin, I would like to posit that those are counterfeit versions of real friendship. Several years ago, uh, as a pastor, several years ago, I went through something of an existential crisis. That's a fancy way of saying I almost had a nervous breakdown. <laughs> and here's what's funny. Hardly anybody knew it. You guys didn't know it. I started thinking thoughts I'd never really entertained before. It was spiritual. It was emotional. And then finally it became physical. And I thought I was going to lose my mind a little bit. I was still pastoring. I was still performing just like I am this morning. I was still reading my Bible and praying, but I was pretty sure I didn't want to anymore. I was experiencing a crisis of faith in some ways. And several big picture thoughts were tormenting me. Like I couldn't quit thinking about them. And a couple of them were theological in nature. And I was having to deal with the reality that life may be arranged in a way that I'd never encountered it before. And it all started, it all started on a perfect afternoon. Heather and I were in Chicago. It was October. And if you've ever been in Chicago in October, sometimes the stars align in such a way that you can experience an afternoon in Chicago in October that you just can't experience anywhere else in the world. The sky was perfectly blue. There was not one single cloud in the sky. The sunshine was bright. The trees had changed the color. There was yellow leaves everywhere. And we were staying down on Michigan Avenue. We were just sort of having this like date kind of a moment. And we went to this, we went to this corner cafe. This corner cafe, the kind that lets you sit kind of out on street level. You know what I'm talking about? 
and uh, there's people around us everywhere. And we were sharing a bottle of wine and we shared some bread and some kind of a roasted garlic, something or another you could put on there. And I think Heather even had a, a bowl of French onion soup. We weren't even particularly hungry, but sometimes you just eat, even if you're not hungry, you know, because it helps being together. And I was sitting there. It does. It helps. And so I am sitting in a perfect afternoon, surrounded by people in a beautiful city with the person that I love the most. I'm holding her hand with one, and my other hand is holding a glass of Cabernet from Napa Valley. I think it was from Oakville or something like that. It was beautiful. And I'm sitting there, and it's just so perfect. So perfect. There's so many people, and there's people everywhere. There's people everywhere. It's like shoulder to shoulder. Michigan Avenue's packed that day. Everyone was wanting to go shopping, and they're walking their dog, and they're running their kids around. And it's just shoulder to shoulder, chest to back, and it's just perfect. I'm there with the person I love the most. And then all of a sudden, I have a thought. It came from the inside. It just floated right up, and I tried to push it back down, and it wouldn't go back down. How many of you understand that, that hope is not the only thing that floats? I had this thought. I couldn't get rid of it. Tried to push it back down. I'm holding her hand. I thought, I'll just hold my wife's hand. I'll drink some more of this wine and I'll just ignore that. Came back up. And I remember holding Heather's hand and looking at her at one point and asking this question, which was essentially the thought that had bubbled up. It was the question, do you think all these people are going to hell? And then there was another question behind that. You think that life's been arranged in such a way that most people who have ever lived are going to go to hell? And then a really, really terrible thought happened. It's a terrible thought. I hate it. It's this thought. It's the thought that I'm not sure I want to go to heaven with a God who's going to send most people to hell. Maybe you've never thought about that. It was sort of devastating. We walked around for the next couple of days, and the only thing I could think of, there's this great city. and Surely all of these people are not going to go to hell. Surely not. And this is just one city. And by the way, I haven't traveled as much as some people, but I've been to a heck of a lot of cities. You guys understand that there are cities in China that have millions and millions and millions of people. And, like, are all of those people going to go to hell? I mean, it's like, it's a really terrible thought, right? And it just kept bubbling up. And it wouldn't go away. And not only would it not go away in that afternoon, but it just didn't go away. In fact, it didn't really, it, it hasn't, it's never gone away. It's been with me ever since then. And it was really intense for about two years, and I just couldn't get away from it. And I, I, I wasn't able to think or sleep anymore. I wasn't sleeping. I, I, I would stay up. I would get in bed, but I just would lie there. And I would mostly think about that. Or, or sometimes I would think about, like, why in the world, why in the world has everything been arranged in such a way that, that evil men prosper and good men fall left and right? I mean, you guys have noticed that, right? Like, good things don't just happen to good people. Sometimes really great things are happening to terrible people. Why? Why? And then, right in the middle of this, my, my wife's first cousin is murdered. You think... And I'm not talking about like murdered on accident. I'm talking about strangled to death. A woman who's four months pregnant. You go, what is, that didn't help, by the way. And it's okay to laugh. That didn't help. And so I just started having this like internal breakdown that started like becoming an external breakdown. In fact, one day two people who were on staff here at the church came into my office and they asked me if I was going to quit my job. They could tell that I was melting down. But without going into the whole ordeal and everything that I was thinking about, I got through it. I got through it. By the way, here's also what I've become convinced of. You don't ever want to sit under a pastor who hasn't thought about these things. Listen to no man who is sure of heaven and hell who hasn't really considered what the heck it means. But here's how I got through it. I got through it because I had really great friends. 
and they were patient with me. And I had really great friends who let me talk, and they let me talk, and they let me talk. And they let me say crazy things. They let me say crazy things. Things that some of you in this room would think are blasphemous. We had blasphemous conversations. In fact, what some people would consider a blasphemous conversation, I once had about a three and a half hour blasphemous conversation with my best friend Eric. And he didn't judge me. He was just so patient, and he was just so kind. And we just we just started thinking crazy thoughts. We started thinking perhaps maybe the universe isn't arranged in the way that we had grown up thinking it was. We started thinking some things that were maybe a little more hopeful than that. And then we started having some talks that eventually led me in every way to Jesus. I had great friends who encouraged me when I was weak. They were faithful and they were not scared. When you're going through stuff, you need a friend who is not scared. That's what friends are. They're not scared. They're not scared that the pastor was working through a lot of ideas about what he really believed. Uh, even in the process of when I was least confident in what I believed and who I was, they were confident in me and they were confident of God in me. See, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to be held and loved in your time of weakness. Everybody here is going to have a time of weakness. Encouraging news this morning. If you haven't had hard times, you're going to. Aren't you glad you came to church? You're like, I was pretty happy. Yeah, one day you're not going to be happy. Let's just lean into this for a minute. Let's get real just for a second. Not everything is going to be perfect. Sometimes, sometimes some really terrible things are going to happen to great people. And Jesus isn't going to show up in a burning fire. There may be no voice. In those months that followed Heather's cousin being murdered, there were no voices. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes the word of God isn't going to come to you in the Bible. And sometimes the word of God isn't going to come to you in prayer. Sometimes the word of God will only come to you in a friend. I needed a friend. I needed a friend. And I've had a friend and I got through it. These friends pointed me to Jesus. They pointed me to his love. And they were merciful without letting me wallow. That's, how many of you understand it takes talent? It takes talent to be merciful, but at the same time without letting someone wallow. They never let me make peace with emotions that would surely destroy me. That's what a friend will do to you. They'll they'll give you allowance for weakness, but they do it in a way that is still redemptive and ultimately working for another person's best. See, I've experienced this over and over. And one of the things that I'm here to tell you this morning is that this kind of friendship is more valuable than money. Some of us see one of the things that we run for here in America, money is a huge motivator in America. We need to flip that around. Friends are a better thing to run for. Run for friends, church. Run for friends. See, I've been intimately loved. I've been intimately friended. And in those times that I've been loved and friended, I've become aware of God in a whole new way. The reason I've become aware of God in a whole new way is because ultimately all of our natural friendships are rooted in who God is. One of the foundational pillars, one of the foundational pillars of Christian theology is the reality that the God we love and worship is a Trinitarian being. It's the weirdest thing. God is one and God is three, somehow. Just like the doxology says, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. And by the way, you understand that the doxology must be sung in harmony or it isn't really the doxology. And I'm not even making a funny point here. It must be sung in harmony or it's not the doxology and it doesn't fully express the idea that it's trying to communicate. How many of you understand that God is one in three persons and we need to sing this note, this note, and this note. Three distinct notes that are at the same time one in order to fully express who he is and who he's revealed himself to be. Does this make sense? What I'm trying to get at is this. God is a happy, friending community within himself. God is a community of friends. He is a community of intimate friendship within himself. And this is ultimately the reason why you and I ache for friendship and intimacy. 
See, you and I were born out of love. And we were born out of a being whose very nature is self-giving love. You and I were born out of intimacy. We were born out of a being whose very nature is love based upon unspeakably deep knowledge of the other. No one knows the Son like the Father. And no one knows the Father like the Son. And the love that exists between them is the Spirit. It is infinitely deep. No one knows. It's the reason that you have an ache to be known. It's the reason that you have an ache to know someone. Because your heavenly father knows and is known like no one in the universe. See, you and I were born out of a being whose very makeup is relational. You and I were born for friendship. See, a lot of times we tend to think of God as a floating gas of intelligence. You ever hear people talk about God? You ever hear people talk about God and something about the way that they communicate who he is and something about the way that they approach who he is, it makes him sound more like a floating gas of invisible intelligence rather than a living, breathing, personal, relational being. See, God is not a floating gas of intelligence. He's smart, but that is not who he is. He's more than some invisible scientist. See, some of the ways we talk about God is he's some invisible scientist. He's in the ether. But God is love and God is friendship. See, we were born out of a genius. We were born out of the genius of a relational friending being. And so part of what it means to be formed in his image, as Genesis says, is it means that, we have to be, that we've been made with a need for friends. Friendship is the reflex of truly human beings. It's why we tend to form friendships, communities, packs, and societies without anyone ever setting us down and teaching us to do this. You can go out onto a playground and you can watch little boys and you can watch little girls and there'll be three little girls over here and they'll be swinging together and they'll maybe be talking and, and singing some song and there'll be a couple little boys over here and they'll be digging in the dirt together or they'll be, they'll be fighting some enemy. Boys do that. You don't have to teach them that either. I've had three. Uh, every boy comes out of the womb knowing how to make a stick, a knife, and Legos guns. And the other thing they know how to do is how to bring other people into that coalition. And they never have to be taught this. Isn't it interesting that you and I never had to be taught to make communities, to build cities, uh, to work for family, uh, to have friends, to hang out, uh, to enjoy one another, to play cards, to watch the game? Where's all that coming from? Like even atheists do that. Even people who hate God do that. Even people who hate God cannot help but express the relational God who made them. God is not a floating gas of intelligence. He's something better than that. It's the image of God in us. Now, this isn't to say that we do this perfectly. Sometimes relationships dissolve. Sometimes we have a falling out. You guys have heard about the falling out, right? That's Southern for we don't talk anymore. But even these painful parts of relationships illuminate it our created nature. Even painful parts do because even after a painful relationship, we will risk again for the sake of relationship. Even people who have been profoundly wounded will go back and try again with somebody else. We can't help it. See, in the Trinity, each person honors and blesses the other without robbing them of their distinctiveness. This is part of what it means to be real friends. What does it mean to be kingdom friends? It means to honor and bless the other without robbing them of their distinctiveness. So, for instance, Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 30, that he and the Father are one. Right? Jesus says, the Father and I, we're, we are one. But at the same time, they are distinct. Their oneness never controls or manipulates. Their oneness never diminishes their uniqueness. And what a model for friendship. Like the Father is one with Jesus. And at the same time, the Father never controls, never manipulates, and never infringes upon Jesus' Jesus's Jesusness. Does this make sense? He lets Jesus be Jesus. The Father never even takes up Jesus' work or created purpose. He lets Jesus do what Jesus came to do. He lets Jesus be who He is. And Jesus never tries to be the Father. 
In fact, he says things like, I can't even do stuff unless I see the Father doing it. I'm just looking to see what he's up to. And I let the Father be the one who's leading. I let him, I let him be the arranger. And I'll be the follower. Isn't this something? What is, friend, what is real friendship? Like, real friendship is a friendship that honors another person, but never controls, never manipulates, never makes them do anything, and somehow preserves who they are without diminishing their distinctiveness. Real friendship is a union that doesn't become some homogenous mess. And I love this. This is the model for friendship. It is giving, it is honoring, and then there's this other thing that exists in the Trinity that has to exist in our friendships. It's the ability to call out identity and purpose. So you remember at Jesus' baptism, this is Luke chapter 3, Jesus is getting dunked by John in the Jordan. And right there in the moment, when he comes up out of the water, a voice from heaven declares, This is my Son, in whom I'm well pleased, and the Holy Spirit comes. So here we got God, Father, Holy Spirit, and Son all together. And it is the Father honoring Jesus and identifying Him and, and speaking, speaking who He is, really, really is, who He really, really is over Him. Without manipulation, without coercion, Jesus is even there, one with the Father, yet wet in the water. Does this make sense? And this is what friendship is. It doesn't try to push somebody into one little corner or make them exactly like us. Uh, it It also means that we don't even have to have the same mind on every single thing. There is, a, there is a freedom in there to express something new. And this is only, only part of the kind of friendship that God has modeled for us. A Trinitarian love is not only giving, but is also receiving. I don't know if you've ever considered this. In the Godhead, there is giving, but there is also receiving. God the Father gives to Jesus. Jesus gives glory and he gives honor to the Father. There is a giving and receiving. And so friendship is about giving, but friendship is also, in some really profound way, it's about receiving. And it seems to me that pretty much everyone, me included, it seems to me that pretty much everyone has to overcome one of two hurdles in our life with God and with one another. Either the hurdle of becoming a giver, becoming generous, or the hurdle of learning how to receive. Uh, everybody in here typically will struggle with one of these two things. Either you will struggle with having to learn how to be a generous person. Some of us in the room are not very generous. We're a little bit stingy. Stinginess is antithetical to the kingdom. Not just stingy with money, but stingy in our heart. And we have to overcome that hurdle. Because God's kind of love, God's kind of friendship is it's giving. It's generous. It's explosive giving. But at the same time, some of us in the room have to overcome the inability to receive from anyone else. Because what we see in God's kind of love, God's kind of friendship, even within himself, is that he is willing, he is willing, and he is able, and he is desirous to receive. See, some of us are great at giving, but we struggle in receiving. And here's the reason why we struggle, we struggle receiving. Because receiving feels weak. And we don't want to show weakness. Receiving requires, also it requires revealing. It requires revealing areas of weakness or need or deficiency. And the last thing that most of us in the room want to do is to reveal an area that we are deficient, that we're weak, or that we have a need. But how many of you understand that you cannot be a friend until you show them where you're weak? It's a facade. Oh, by the way, everybody in here has weakness. Everybody in here has a deficiency or two. Some of us are great at giving, but we really suffer when it comes to receiving. Some of us are aching for friendship and intimacy, but we refuse to play any role other than giver. And the reason we, re- we refuse to play any role other than giver is that we want to be powerful. And power kills friendship. Because friendship is never based upon power. It's always based upon mutualness. Power brokering is about making people dependent on me. It's about wanting to be seen as great and it's a way of trying to be God. 
Some of us in the room, some of us in the room actually have reputation of being generous. And the fact is we're actually not all that generous. What we really are is we're power brokers who want to be seen as great and create fiefdoms and small kingdoms. And we want to be the source for people. And we cloak who we really are and the areas where we're deficient and we're emotionally needy and we haven't been touched by God. We cloak that because we don't want to show our weakness to anyone. And we want to carry on. We want to carry on the facade of being a powerful ruling king that's what we want to do that heart is not in the trinity and you know the ironic part none of that heart exists in the trinity and god is at the very same time the king of the universe willing to receive like why does god receive our worship It isn't because he really needs it. It's because he is generous and even God is humble of heart and willing to receive something from people. Even God is humble of heart. Even God is a generous God, but he is also a receiver. I want to read you a scripture out of Philippians. This is chapter 2. This is about Jesus. This is what Paul has to say. And I want you to notice something here. Look at, I want you to look for two things. Look for giving and look for receiving. This is, this is the essence of what it means to be a real human and to have real friendships. Look, it says this about Jesus. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Remember those closed fists we were talking about last week? No closed fists in God, open palms, open hands. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being where he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, therefore, God elevated him to the highest place of honor. Read for that, gave him the highest place of honor. And look at this. And gave him the name above all names. Jesus did not take the name above all names, and he did not hold on to the name above all names. He gave himself away, and the Father ends up giving him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue would declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of who? God. Glory goes back to God. Isn't this something? Even in within the Godhead, there is this, there's a mutualness. There's, a, there's an openness. There is a giving and there's a receiving. See, some of us in the room are deficient in friends because we are either unable to give or unwilling to give anything or we're unable to receive. Some of us want to be power brokers. As long as you're coming to, stu- as long as you're coming to me for stuff, like we can hang out. Can run this thing. See, real God-like, soul-prospering friendship takes both. Only giving, someone who is only giving, is someone who's too closed off, is someone who lacks vulnerability, and is someone who's ultimately still cloaked. Think about that. Especially all you givers. You giver people. A lot of you giver people are actually still cloaked. Not revealing And then some of us are only receiving. People who only receive, they are people who are too inward and they're unable to see others and they're disconnected from the riches and gifts that they have to offer. And I'm talking to you poor people. Some some people in this room have become receivers because maybe you grew up poor or maybe you're even poor right now. And if you grow up as only a receiver, you are actually blind to the gifts and the riches that God has put in you and you're cloaking and you're playing a selfish game as well. This goes both ways. The kingdom of heaven is a sword. Uh, Hebrews says it's a double-edged sword, which means it cuts both directions. You can't just cut in one direction. You will get pierced by every single word. See, ultimately, both are uns- both of- both, of- both ultimately are selfish and they're unfit for God's kind of friendship. But we were born for friendship. We were made for intimacy. It's part of what it means to be a Jesus follower. I want to share two more thoughts with you and then we'll tie a bow on this thing. See, friendship is so valuable, not only because you and I were born for it, not because we were just made for it, because our Heavenly Father is a friend, but it is valuable because it's one of the main ways that we experience the love of God. Augustine, or if you want to, if you want to say it like a theologian, 
you'd say Augustine. The sophisticates always say Augustine. Have you noticed that? Augustine, I'm not going to take any part in those guys. Augustine, <laughs> the church father, he, he said that you could not separate the intimacy with God from intimacy with others. He said this, you can't separate the two because precisely our God is an incarnation God. He's a God who took on flesh and he walked the earth with us in Jesus. And that God is working through the love, the goodness, and the care of others in flesh and blood and bone and marrow and sinew. Telling us that we are loved and deeply cared for and provided for by him. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? In a very real way, our friends are the hands and the voice and the love of God to us in flesh and bone. That's what Augustine says. He also said this which is kind of an amazing thought. Augustine says that you did not choose your friends. They are acts of God's providence at work in our lives. Which runs counter to the very thought that we always think of when we think about friendship, right? Like, what's, like what's, the, what's the main thing that separates friendships from families? You get to choose your friends and you're born into your families, right? Augustine says, no, no, that's not really the way it works. He says, you didn't choose your friends. They're acts of God's providence and provision for you. Uh, and he quotes 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. And Paul's talking about something totally different here. But look at, look at what he says. Paul says to the Corinthians, for what gives you the right to make such a judgment? He's talking about something else right here. And then he says, Corinthians, what do you have that God hasn't given you? Anybody here have friends? What do you have that God has not given you? Every good and perfect gift, help me now, every good and perfect gift comes down from who? Father of lights. That's what James says. See, the good and the true in our lives are gifts from God. They're highly personal expressions of how God loves us. And He loves us insightfully. He knows just who you need. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't have choice, right? Grace and choice are not incompatible. We're going to do a little theology here for a moment. You didn't choose your friends. It's God's provision. But at the same time, grace and choice are not incompatible. We must act on the grace that comes our way. And gifts that are freely given have to be what? Freely received. You could say no to God. You can say no to God. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but saying no to God is the easiest thing to do you've probably heard it's hard to say no to god it's actually not it's really easy to say no to god the reason it's easy to say no to god is because he is not coercive he is not a manipulator and he's not a control freak you can say no to god just as easily as you can say no to someone who wants to have lunch with you on tuesday and so friends that we have they're they're acts of god's grace his providence his provision you are a gift of God for someone. You are a gift of God for someone, and someone is a gift of God for you. Like, look at all these lovely people sitting in the second row. Like, how, how long have you four people been friends? See, this is providence at work. Think about this just for one moment before we wrap it up. Think about this. Our friends are providential connections that God has made. Think about this. Think about your best friends and think about the first time you met them. I got four people with me. Think about, the, think about the first time that you met your best friend and think about the circumstances that surrounded you meeting them and what that encounter was like. Uh, I, I, have a, I have a one of my best friends, I have a best friend, and he and I just happened to be at the same event one time and we're just standing and we just strike up a conversation. We don't even know each other. And if I had showed up to that exact spot maybe two minutes later, I wouldn't have potentially maybe not met this person isn't that who who is arranging that anybody in here know what i'm talking about like what if you stopped two minutes before 
to put some gas in your car rather than go to where you were going, maybe you would have met him, maybe you would have met her, or maybe you wouldn't have. Maybe, maybe God is that invisible problem in the universe. That's one of the ways I've been that's one of the ways I've been talking about God lately. He's ultimately our biggest problem. Think on it. See, God is so good. You are God's gift to somebody and somebody is a gift of God to you. So here's what we want to do. I have some homework. Is everybody okay with homework? We're going to have homework on spring break. Three things. So why don't you get out a piece of paper or something? Or just write this in your iPhone. Here's what we ought to do this week. Because I actually believe about 85% of what I told you this morning was true. You just have to figure out which 15% is not. Don't send me an email. I don't want to see it. (laughs) Three things that you want to do this week. Or I want you to do, let's do this. Uh, The first thing I want us to do this week is let's remember our best friends. Let's remember them. Like some of the time that you normally spend reading the Bible and praying, I want you to take some of that time of reflection and I want you to think about your best friends and I want you to have a real honest talk with God about your best friends and I want you to thank God for them. They're gifts from God. I want you to thank God for them. And the second thing I want you to do is I want you to pray for your best friend. Okay? Pray for them. Uh, One of the things I realized... uh, just even prepping this week, is that I have a lot of connection with my very best friends and I almost never pray for them. I, it's, it's, it's not right. You know what I end up mostly praying about? And I'm back into this garbage again. I'm mostly praying about problems lately. That's, that's okay, but that's not really the main thing. So let's, let's think about our friends and let's, let's pray for them and let's thank God for them. Like a little bit of thankfulness goes a long way. Uh, The second thing I want us to do this week is I want us to invest in our friends. Invest in our friends. And I'll leave that up to you, but here's some things that maybe could happen. Uh, Why don't you you write them a handwritten note? Not an email. Not a text. And for the love of God, nothing on Facebook. (laughs) All of those, all of those have been useful at keeping us connected. Let's just call it what it is. Social media is pretty dang great. But it is it is a form of a slow dehumanization that has been put into the system. Why don't you send your best friend a handwritten note? Why don't you get some good paper? I'm not joking. Like get some good stationery. Something that looks presidential. And why don't you write your friend a note and tell them the honest God's truth about what you think about them? Two years ago, two years ago, the Lord, the Lord came to me, jumped in my car with me one day, and he said, Adam, eulogies are for the living. Yeah. See, isn't it a shame? Isn't it a shame that most of us reserve our truest thoughts for the people around us and closest and what we love the most? We reserve those thoughts for after they're dead. What a useless moment. Heck, maybe if you'd told them the truth, they wouldn't be dead. (laughs) That's mostly a joke. Sort of. Invest in your friends. Let's write some notes to our friends this week. Let's tell them the truth. Eulogies are for the living. Let's give them a reason to live. Let's tell them the honest to God's truth, what we really think. If you think they're awesome and they're smart and they're brilliant, tell them. Tell them, don't hold it back, and don't assume that they know. One of the ways that we come to a a, a revelation of who we really are is we have to actually be told. Buy them dinner. Take them out. Take them someplace good, like real good, not Arby's. Someplace awesome. (laughs) I don't know. Take them someplace really nice. Buy them dinner. Tell them something great. Or maybe buy them a special gift. Like, after you become good friends, you know what they like, right? My best friend knows what I like. Every single year for Christmas, 
He buys me an expensive bottle of Bordeaux. I actually know it's coming every year. And it doesn't diminish the joy for either of us. Invest in your friends. Do something. Say something. Get something. Let people know. And then thirdly, thirdly, and this is the one that's, this is really hard for me because I'm a black and white person sometimes. Let's do this. Let's look and see who may be standing on the edges of our orbit that God is wanting to add to our gravitational pull. There's probably some people that are just on the fringes of your gravitational pull and God might be wanting to add them in. Let's look and see. Let's do a little reflection. Is there somebody that I just kind of keep running into? Like, you guys ever have that moment where you run into somebody like six times in one month at Walmart? It might mean that you're, all, that you're both running out of milk at the same time. Or it might be the Holy Ghost saying... Would you wake up and invite this person to your house? Is there somebody there? Oh, this is one of the things that I've come to learn about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is not a zero-sum game. And what that means is I can add somebody into the vulnerable places of my heart. I can add somebody into the tender places of my life. And it will not diminish what I have to give to my family and my best friends It is not a zero-sum game. To give here is not to take away there. Not in the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand? I want to pray for you. If you're on the ministry team this morning, come on up. Thank you for being patient. I know I talked a long time. But I had to. Oh, we got some great people on ministry team this morning. Everyone say hello to Sarah, to Jonathan, and to Jasmine. Oh, by the way, Jonathan and Jasmine, why don't you all put your hands up just let everybody know. Jonathan and Jasmine are going to plant a vineyard church in Bowling Green, Kentucky. I've been meaning to say that. And, and uh, this is a really big deal. And if some of y'all want to leave this church and go with them, I want you to. I'm not joking. In fact, I feel like the Lord probably wants to send several people here to go make sure that thing works. Okay, cool. Let's pray. Let's pray. Put your hand on your heart. Lord, we just love you this morning. And God, we ask that you would enlarge our heart. God, we ask for increased capacity to love like you love. God, we just even now say thank you for our friends. Thanks for caring for us. And we receive these friendships as love and care from you. But God, we ask that you would make us good friends. That we would friend like Jesus' friends. That we would love like the Father loves. That we would share like the Holy Ghost shares. God, we ask that you would enlarge our hearts to be receivers. That we wouldn't be prideful people who want to carry on the facade that we have it all together. God, the temptation to be a king, we ask that you would dissolve that from us. And that we would put all of our affections on you and the people that you're bringing into our life. In the name of the Father who loves the Son who loves the spirit. Amen. If you need prayer for anything, you come up. We got some people here who want to pray for you. If you're sick in your body or you're just having a hard time, otherwise give somebody a high five and a hug. Mass is in to go in peace.